I want to just start the sermon by telling you a small experience. As you know, every time you go to a new church or every time you, you are ready to move to a new church, what happens is the church usually interview you. They called you, they said, well, the conference called you and they said, you know what, uh, this church is interested in you and you want to go to that church. Well, let me see, you know, okay, if you're interested, they want to interview you. So they called you for an interview. And this happened years ago back in San Diego. When they called me, it was a Hispanic church. And uh, I learned that there are some things that you just cannot say and some things that you just, you know, you better quiet about it, just keep it to yourself and that's it. Uh, and I remember they called me, uh, there was this, this long table with about maybe 10 or 12 of them, elders, people from the, from the church, they were sitting, and it's just funny, they just tell you, sit over there, and you're there all by yourself, and everybody's watching you, you know, and they start asking you questions, like an interrogation thing, you know, what about this, what would you do if this thing, what about all those questions that you just have to give the right answer, you know, and you're kind of like, okay, okay. And one of those questions was a simple question, I guess. And the question was, how do you become to, you know, how do you get the ideas? That's it. How do you get ideas for your sermons? How that happened? And I guess they were probably hoping this huge, amazing, holy answer, you know. They probably were thinking this guy goes back to the mountains, he talks to God, and something happened. I don't know. But... Being me, which sometimes I just try to be myself and I try to show you this is who I am. I don't try to put something else in front of me. I sit there, you know, I listen to the question and I answer. And my answer was, oh, you know, and it was at that moment it was real. Don't ask me today if it still is real. But I said, oh, yeah, many times what I do, many times the ideas in my sermons, I mean, about my sermons, come when I take showers. And they were... Excuse me? I said, yeah, it can't when I'm taking showers. Usually if I take like 30 minutes, 40 minutes showers, I'm thinking and I come with the idea for the sermon. They change their faces. <laughs> you know, from wow, questions to like really serious like showers. Okay. And I only, you know, sometimes some of them they write, you know, when it's something interesting, they write something in a piece of paper that they have. Nobody was writing anything there. And then I realized I just gave the wrong answer, I think. They didn't expect me to give that. But to tell the truth, that what really happened. And still today, sometimes when, you wanna, when I want to close some, something, some idea in my sermon, you just look for the perfect time, the right moment that you are alone because you close the, I mean, the bathroom door, you don't lock it, you are by yourself. And when the water is there, you're thinking, that's it. It just comes. It just happens. I don't know you. I know some of you are probably different. You guys go, to, you know, like I said, maybe to the mountain. You pray for three hours and you get there. The, the, the idea, that's good. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's good. But that was my answer. And in this Bible text, we are going to see that Jesus gives some kind of answer to everybody else who was kind of like mad with him. And they didn't like it. So let's open our Bibles. Let's open our Bibles in John, the book of John, chapter 5. And we are going to start reading from verse 16. I'm not going to read the whole passage to tell you the truth. Uh, the last part of the passage that I'm going to read is very much some, uh, Jesus is trying to emphasize his divinity. 
which for many people back in those days, it was difficult to accept, as today for many people, it's really difficult to believe that Jesus Christ is God. But that's another story. Verse number 16. Verse number 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Another translation for that, which is much better, is not persecute him, is harass him. You know, they, when somebody comes and he harasses you, like, I don't like you. I'm, you're new here. I usually take people here up front and start using them for the sermon. Don't be afraid, just in case. Don't be afraid. But anyway, he hey, you know what? I don't like you. I don't, it's like, it's like uh, I know some people here at church, they sometimes maybe harass me. You know, like, hey, I tell you, I tell you this, this. And they have questions that you're like, stop it, stop it. Where they were harassing Jesus all the time. Especially now about the Sabbath. What happened before that, if you see your Bible, what happened before that is that he does a miracle with a paralyzed man who was next to a pool. And he does this miracle in such a way that their man, this man, this paralyzed man, was what? Healed. Isn't that great? I mean, that's awesome. That's God working among us. So he does that. And because Jesus was doing those things, that healing on the Sabbath, the Jews harassed him. Verse 17. That's only one part. Verse 17, Jesus said to them after the harassment, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, says the Bible, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. When I read that part, when I read the last part, sometimes I think, well, what, what? I mean, he just said, my father. What is the big deal? Don't you call God your father? Is he your father? Is he your father? Is he your father? Yeah, yeah. You call him your father. What was the big deal of Jesus calling him my father? I'm doing what my father practically is doing. And then read a little bit more about this text. This is what really happened. First of all, he did something good. He did a miracle that day, the Sabbath day. You don't do miracles the Sabbath day. If you go back on the, on the, on the Old Testament, they even had rules, you know, one rule that they changed a little bit. They did have this, this, this rule that when you are camping out there, when you are camping, well, you camp outside, out there in the desert, and your enemies are back, you know, close by, but you can see them, but you are camping, and this is the Bible. You go back, every time you want to go to the restroom, you take a little shovel. Listen to this. You go outside your camp, Dig a hole? You know what is going to happen after that. That happens, then you cover the hole, and you go back to your camp. And the Bible says that you do that because God is holy, and you don't want God to be walking, or sorry, not walking, but going around camp by seeing those nasty and disgusting things. So, they said, that's real. That's what really happened in the New Testament. That's something that we learned from Moses. Okay, 
Let's bring it to the Sabbath. They did have this rule that in Sabbath, if you don't have to go to the restroom, if you can wait, you wait. Now, is that an exaggeration? I can only imagine the Jewish people worshiping the Lord, not because they are dancing, but because they can't go to the restroom. Now, I laugh the same way you are laughing when I was reading that. Myself, I was reading like, no, this thing cannot be true. I went, I went back to Deuteronomy. Yes, I found the right there. there it is. And they went to the extreme that because they did want to apply the right rule for God, we want to apply and have rules that are just, just perfect so we can keep God holy or keep the Sabbath holy. Let's just change it so it's good for everyone. Here, Jesus, he did a miracle. They got mad. But more than that, they did want to kill him. Kill him. Because he said he was the son of God. As a Christian, how many of you ever thought of killing someone because you hate that person so much? Anybody? Raise your hand. Don't feel bad. Anybody? No? Are you sure? Oh, we have a few there. Oh, we have three, yeah? I mean, you get so mad and angry, like, oh, I wish something could happen. You're kind of like wishing, Lord, 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 maybe. Sam, you too? These people were so angry with Jesus that they did want to kill him because he said, he's my father. Let me explain this part. All the rabbis back in those days, they really, I mean, they had the idea and they knew that God never stops working. They knew that. That was clear to them. Rabbis back in those days, they always thought that God never stopped working because when somebody died, God has to make the decision of what happened with that person after he dies. And when someone is born, God has to work in order to calm down and give the life for that person, for that creature to be alive. God is working. For the rabbis, nobody can say, God, you are not supposed to be working. You are working. Creation all around us, the water keeps moving, the air keeps, you know, being around us. You are working every day. We understand that. But you are asking us, your creatures, not to work, to stop everything. Then we have Jesus coming and saying, and I'm going to read this thing again. My father, it wasn't the big deal about my father. The big deal was the next part. The, uh, my father is always at his work. Okay, he's right about that. God is always working. He's always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. By that expression of saying, I am too working, means you are putting yourself equal to God. And that's why he was working. They got angry because of that. 
But he was doing only one thing. He was proving his divinity. He was proving that he was not less than God. He was God. He was doing everything since creation. He was God. What is there here for us? You know, the title, if you read, is The Example of a power, uh, Powerless What? Savior. And I'm going to give you an example so far, one that I want you to understand, church. God never stops working, and you cannot stop working. You, you don't have the right. Maybe I can go that far. You don't have the right to say, I'm going to stop working for somebody or for God or for the church because you have so, some kind of uh, idea why you have to stop working. If you are a follower of Christ, if you believe that God is working every day, Orange Church, you don't stop working. Why am I saying that? You know how many of you work really hard at church? You know how many, I mean, do you know how many of you in other churches, not you, in other churches, how many people really work? They really want to do something for the Lord? From this match, probably this match. We never stop working. What will you do if God one day says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest today. No air for nobody, no sun, no water. What will you do? Will you what? How will you die? Lack of air. How will you die when you don't have any air? Wouldn't be pretty, huh? Would it be miserable? God never stops working. Why do we stop working sometimes? Why sometimes we think, you know what? I did enough. Why sometimes we think, you know what? I can't do anything else. I do, I mean, I did all my work to all these years. Now I have to stop. Why? If God does that, we'll be lost. He never stops working. But more than that, more than that, I want to tell you, he never stops working on Sabbath. It's key for you and me as Seventh-day Adventists. You see, we have this idea that on Sabbath, we can only do some things. Some other ones, we cannot do it. We have this idea that on Sabbath, sometimes we just have to rest, which is good. I do, I do that too. In the afternoon, how many of you have this beautiful power nap? Come on, I also do it. It's good, isn't it? It's good. You are almost Hispanic. I love you guys. What time do you usually go to nap? Like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, after lunch, right? When the, when the, when the belly is full, I'm like, oh, honey, I love you. Gone. 
There's nothing wrong about being, I mean, about sleeping. Remember last Sabbath when I, when I, when I talked to you about, about this, the, the, the ten uh, uh, bridemaids? Remember? They were, I'm sorry? Yeah, and they were sleeping. Remember I mentioned it's nothing wrong about sleeping. And I forgot, I was telling my wife, I forgot to tell them, and I have to mention this to them based on this too. And you know, I have to say, it's nothing wrong about sleeping. The problem about sleeping is that when you wake up, and if you remember the story last, uh, last Sabbath, is that when you wake up, five of them, they were not ready. They were kind of like, huh, huh, I need oil. Kind of late. The other five, they wake up and they what? They were ready. You can go to sleep if you want. But when you wake up on the Sabbath day, wake up ready to do something for the Lord. We are human. We get tired. The Sabbath day was for the man, for us, to rest, to have a relationship with our Lord, to have a relationship with others. Yes, you have to take a break sometimes. But when you wake up, go back. And work. Because God never stops working. God wants you to understand this. And I think this is a beautiful example for you and me to learn. Because many people ask questions like, what should I do on Sabbath? Pastor, what should I do? And, and, and that's the question that I always get. What should I do on Sabbath? And then if I ask you the question, what should we do on Sabbath? I'm going to have all kinds of different answers. But I'm going to give you only one answer. And the answer is, you are going to do what the Father is going to be doing when he works on Sabbath. You know what he does? He takes care, first of all, of you. You take care of people. You establish a relationship with people. You help them. You visit them. You spend time with them. You spend time with your Lord. You spend time with your God. You do what God usually do, does when he never stops working on Sabbath. And there's nothing wrong about this. But sometimes, even myself, I struggle with the idea. I struggle with the idea. When I see people say, Sabbath, today is reading my Bible all day. I mean, it's good. But where is the other part of the Lord God working and here Jesus referred of God working as doing something for somebody. We need to think about that. You have six other days to keep reading too. And you can read, but please, brothers, do what God wants you to do. Work never stop. You never retire. I always have this thing that once a pastor, you are always a pastor even if you want to retire. Sorry. You are a pastor. <laughs> yeah, someone here that I know is moving ahead like, no, it's not true. Sorry, it is true. True. God never stops working. The verse after that, verse number 19, also mentions something that you and I have to learn. Jesus gave them this answer after they got all mad and they want to kill him. Can you you know, but by the way, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to stop you here. You know that when you read this passage, people really, the people that, that, you know, study those passages, they think that the writer, you know, the writer made the decision to some point 
to just not include what the Pharisees or the other people was, were, I mean, they were saying to Jesus. And he only writes whatever Jesus is saying. If you notice that, if you notice, I mean, he, at first he's talking and then they say, no, you're bad, I want to kill him. And then he talks and talks and nobody does anything. Nobody says anything. And the point of that, they said, is because John, the main point of John is trying to prove the divinity of Christ. So I'm going to keep reading. I'm sorry, I just have to add that. Verse number 19, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Oh. Uh. Ow. Uh. That's a punch. Okay, Sabbath, I work because my father works. Okay, that's beautiful. I know what to do Adventist. Now, here we go. If you really want to do the thing, you better listen to that. Uh. The son can do nothing by himself. Another translation of that is, the son does nothing by himself. They never work in a different agenda. They never are like, in this side, you know what? My job is better than you, God. You're kind of old. Yeah, people down there, they think you have this long beard. No, look, I'm young. He never does something different than God. And he never works without God. What is that? What is that telling me? You and me cannot do anything without God. You and me cannot function together as a church, as a ministry, as a family of God, if we have our own agenda. And the only way you are going to work together if you keep reading the verse, uh, again, I'm going to read, uh, uh, read it. I told you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he what? Sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. The only way you are going to see what the father is doing is if you have a relationship with the father. If you ignore the relationship with the Father, if you think that five minutes in the morning is good enough for you to have a good day with the Lord, if you ignore that time and relationship with the Father is not important, you are going to be following your own agenda, your own ideas, and you are going to be thinking that you know better than anybody else, and more than that, better than God. God already has, a, I mean, have an agenda for his church. He already has an agenda for this orange church. He already knows what the church needs. He already knows in which direction this church needs to go. Are you seeing? Are you watching? Are you paying attention? Or you are by yourself just thinking, I know better. I've been here I've been in that church, this church. I know the whole conference. 
only by having a relationship with God, you are going to know what God really wants, not only for your life, but for your ministry and for your church. Don't you want God to lead this church? One amen. Thank you. Maybe they didn't. I mean, let me do it again. ¿No quieres tú que Dios dirija tu iglesia? A miracle. They speak Spanish now. Isn't that, you see, I believe in tongues. I mean, they're speaking in tongues. And you are going to say that we don't believe in that? I want God to lead my life and lead this church. If God leads the church, you are not supposed to be afraid of anything. You are moving by the power of the Lord. If God is the one leading this church, if God is the one taking care of the church, you are going to find the man who is going to lead and work with you guys to take this church to the next level, which is going closer and closer to heaven. But how that is going to happen if we don't take time to have a relationship with God? How that is going to happen? You know, this father that, God, that Jesus Christ is talking here, the father that he says he's going to follow, he's going to do the same thing because he learned, that father is also the same father that in, that, that in the next verses, and I'm not going to read it, also said the father loves the son. The father shows what he needs to do. The Father is ready to do not only showing, He's ready to bring you to life if it's necessary. The Father is the one who wants to take care of your life. Verse 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. God wants you to know, Orange Church, that you don't stop working, that you keep working in every ministry, that you keep working this church, that you keep working in this community, and God wants you to know that you and I need this special relationship with our Father. So we will never do something that the Father don't want us to do. And I'm going to tell you this. If we are playing the role of the Son, and we have different sons here. I, have, I know we have different sons here and daughters. If we want to play the role of the Son and daughter, it says, see and learn from your Father. And you want to play the role of the father. Father's here, all of you. What are your children learning from you? If they have to see the father, if they have to see the mother as the example, what are they learning from you? And sons and daughters, what are you seeing and watching? Are you watching your father? Are you watching your mother? Are you learning something that is going to get you close to God? But since that all of us play the role of sons, church, 
What are we learning from God? God wants to hold your hand and move you forward. The end of the tunnel is not closed by yet. The end of the tunnel, or you can call it the end of the days, the last days, is not, I mean, it's here, but that's not for you to start worrying. It's here. When that happens, we stop working. And God doesn't want you to stop working. He wants you to keep working more than ever now. The last verse of that whole story, like as I mentioned before, I'm not going to read everything because everything else reflects the divinity of Christ. And I was so amazed to find among many people, Adventist people, that they don't see the divinity of Christ the same way after so many years in the Adventist church struggling with the idea, we all come out with one idea. God is Christ, Christ is God. Even John says that the word that was there in the beginning, he was who? Who was that word? Thank you. We even have people that they come out with ideas like whatever, ideas. Verse number 30. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Two or three things that I want you to see in this verse. By myself, I can do nothing. You and I, we are nobody with God, without God. That's why when I read this passage and I see Christ, because we usually think, Christ, Christ, he's the hero, and he is the hero. He is my Savior. But he's also trying to send you and me a message that even him, without being holding hand to hand, without being walking with the Lord together, he is nothing, he cannot do anything. Who are we to think that we can do many things without God? By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. When you read this passage, they connect these passages to the verses before when God talks about judgment, where Jesus, where, where here in this passage, Jesus is trying to say, look, he gave me the power to judge. And whatever I'm going to judge, I'm going to tell you, he's going to be judged because I know you, and I know you, and I know you, and you, and I know all of you, and you cannot tell me I am unjudged because I came and I live your life as a human being. I'm going to judge by what I hear, by what I see, by living what you are going through. And they connect this, that God, at the end, 
is going to be working together with the sun to at the end bring, I mean, to bring the reality of that judge, judgment, judgment or whatever you want to call. God never does anything by himself and the sun never does anything by himself alone. But never stops. I mean, he doesn't stop there. And my judgment is judged for I seek not to please myself by him who sent me. Who are you pleasing? Who are we pleasing here? If you come to this church, if you are a, a, a member of the church, if you are a visitor and you love this church, and you say, you know, I'm coming here because... You know, it feels like a family. And, you know, praise the Lord. I heard that a lot. Beautiful. And you guys stay here, many of you, because you felt this is like a family. That's good. But don't think that family is more important than pleasing God. Who are you pleasing? Are you pleasing who? Your father here on earth so he can be proud of you? Are you pleasing your mother so she can be saying like, oh, that little child, like my mom, she used to come and just grab my cachetes. <laughs> You're so good. Who are you pleasing? Why don't we take the example of Christ? I'm only here to please my father. Nothing more, nothing less than my father. Are we talking about the same father? Well, I have to call him papa so you will understand Spanish. Or papi, as many times the Bible uses, papi, daddy. Please, come into church. Come in before the presence of God. Come in every Sabbath to worship the Lord. It's not about pleasing somebody else because that person don't like the way I look or the way I do my things. It's about pleasing him. And pleasing him is only going to happen if you get to know him every day. Once you get to know the person of God, you are going to please him the way he wants church. God loves this church. He died for this church. He died for you and me. And, as, and if it's true that we are living the last days, please make me believe that we are living the last days. Don't stop working. If it's true that we are living the last days, put God first and nobody else before God. And if we really believe that God is that Jesus is coming soon, and these are the last days that hopefully soon we are going to see him coming for the second time, please praise the name of the Lord. Bring his name and preach it to others. Preach the gospel. Others want to be saved too, and they can't find a way. And you are probably the one who is going to guide them. Never stop working. Never stop working. And just do 
work together with your father as you have a relationship with him. Let's pray. Loving Father, there's a challenge in front of us, not because some human being moves from one place to another and suddenly now we are in charge of ministries, not because suddenly we heard this sermon of a pastor calling to work together, to have a relationship with God, with you. But we have a challenge because now that we heard this, we have to do something about it. And I want to ask you, Lord, for you to give the tools, the gifts that this church needs to keep moving. I want to ask you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to work among us so all of us can be humble enough to understand that we cannot do anything. It's not possible for us to do anything without you. Help us to turn back, if necessary, and go back to you to find the wisdom, to find the vision to reach others. Bless this church because you love this church. You die for this church. You die for each one of the people here and their families. Help us to understand what you really want for each one of us. There is work to be done. There's lots of work to be done. And I want to ask for you to bring the people that needs to work in those ministries. To bring the leaders that are going to be close to you, following what you want and not what our hearts want. I want to ask you, for you, to bring a revival in our hearts if necessary. So we can see each other soon, if it's not here in heaven. In Jesus' name, I want to ask all of this. Amen.